Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. We're live. One, two, three, four. What's up, everybody? Welcome to West by Pod, the podcast about WVU sports, the Big 12 Conference, and the inclusion of the Mountain Time Zone. I'm Joel Bracken at WV Stats Guy on, I guess it's really called X now. Um, you can also find my co-host, as always, Jordan Pinto at Game Day Shorts on there. Uh, Jordan, how's it going, man? Uh, it's good, buddy. I, you know, I told you just before, th- th- I had my first uh, official dad weekend, had both kids by myself this weekend. Um, everybody had a good time. Nobody got hurt. You know, thankfully nothing horrible happened, so... Um, Glad that uh, glad that we were able to get through that in one piece. But no, we're we're good, man. We're good. We're cruising. How are you doing? That's an A plus report card. Oh, doing yeah. awesome here. Put no complaints. Fridge, no complaints up here in Columbus, uh, other than the heat. But it's that time of year. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, excited to continue to talk some football. This episode, we're keeping the deep dive series rolling. We're in the back half of it, which is kind of crazy. I feel like it's been moving quickly. Um, We have UCF on board and BYU, two of the newcomers um, on the the Mountaineer schedule. Of course, West Virginia plays all four of the new teams joining the Big 12. Uh, But this is an interesting stretch of the schedule because I think these are winnable games or these are games that you're going to have a puncher's chance in. and it's kind of the soft middle part of that schedule where uh, you start to look into these teams and you're like, yeah, these teams aren't, they're, they're not going to be favored to win the conference or favored in the, you know, the top game. So these are teams that are, you know, maybe a little more vulnerable, vulnerable, but um, maybe speaking specifically to UCF also could be kind of explosive and kind of good. Like it could, it could go either way. Um, so Anything else you want to add, Jordan? Are you ready to, to get these deep dives underway? No, let's dive in, man. Cool. All right. So we are starting this episode with UCF. That is the University of Central Florida. Um, the Knights, no longer the Golden Knights. They, they changed that like 15, 20 years ago. Um, joining the Big 12, coming off a 9-5 and five season last year. 
Um, so the head coach is Gus Malzahn. And, you know, this is uh, of a G5 stepping up to P5. This, this is a dude who's won a national championship. This is a this is like a, a big time coach who actually seems to be in like a really nice spot with UCF. Um, I think this is a place that he's able to to get his things going. And, you know, I think he has like full control over this program. And UCF, kind of like some of these teams we talk in Texas, maybe similar sitting in a hotbed in Florida. You know, you can climb the rungs and be better than those other middle teams and teams like Miami, Florida State, some of those teams struggling some years here and there. Like, you know, this is a program that that could have like a lot of upside. Um, what what are your perceptions of UCF? Like, what are you kind of seen from them the last couple of years? And, and how do you think they're going to fit in the Big 12? Yeah, I think that's kind of been their their reputation, right? Is a is a program on the rise. Like it was no surprise, really. Um, you know, maybe an annoyance for for some people, but not really a surprise that they got a that they got a P five invite. Um, and yeah, man, I think I think you hit it. You know, when you look at the location, then you look like Gus Malzahn has his stripes. Guy has um, the guy has a reputation of his own. Um, I think we you know we're probably going to talk about that a little bit. With you see some of the work that they've done in the transfer portal, like it's. A lot of it is like what I'd like to see West Virginia doing, right? You know, it's it's former four and five star dudes uh, from the SEC who, um, you know, either never probably got the tick that they wanted or got recruited over at some point, and and now they're looking for a new home. And you know, like you said, uh, the 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 location, like a lot of guys are going home, right? It's not it's not like you're trying to recruit a guy, hey, come home to West Virginia where you you left, um, right? It's like, hey, come back to Central Florida where a lot of these dudes, you know, it's probably only, you know, an hour or two from, from where they grew up. Um, so no, it's good. I, you know, it, I, I'm, I, I, they're well positioned, right? I think they're as well positioned as any, as the, any of these teams, especially you look at the brand of football that they play, you know, Gus Malzahn, the, the offense that they run is going to be a fucking pain in the ass. It looks like a lot of fun to play in that system. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see the, the jump to the P five really kind of, given given the program just like another shot in the arm too yeah if you think about you know the four teams joining they all have their own interesting nuance you know byu has a huge you know support fan base you know all across the country houston's in texas ucf's in florida like those are both teams that could be on the rise with recruiting you know cincinnati is kind of the little brother in the state of ohio but you know also has had a lot of success ucf like they've had they've had a string of coaches that have actually put up some profess- per, um, some really impressive stats, some impressive seasons. So they had George O'Leary. He had 10 wins four times. Scott Frost got them to 13-0 and in just his second season. Uh, Josh Heupel got them to 12 and 10 wins in just three seasons. And then Malzahn has had them at back-to-back nine-win seasons now. So you feel like, hey, like this is this is kind of what this program has been doing. Obviously, this will be like the biggest step up for them. Um, but yeah, Malzahn like has a really he has a um, he has an identity as a coach. You know, we're we're going to expect the up tempo offense, and you know, sort of assisting in that. Darren Henshaw is going to be the offensive coordinator. This is going to be his first season. Um, for the uh for the knights on the defensive side we have addison williams um at dc this is his third year on the staff but first year um as a defensive coordinator and you know i think something that's always worth mentioning when we talk to these new teams is the schedule last year so we we said that last year um nine and five six and two in conference but it is worth mentioning you go through the schedule and it's like hey what's the most impressive win 
Cincinnati by four points. They beat Tulane by a touchdown. Um, you know, Georgia Tech, that is a power five team, but but definitely a lesser one. And then you look at the losses. They lost to Louisville. Uh, they lost to Eastern Carolina by several touchdowns. Lost to Navy by a field goal. Lost to Tulane in the uh, American Championship game. And then you yep. lose to Duke in the bowl game. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%, 100% right? Tulane, probably, I, I would say their best, win, their best win based on the, the final polls was probably Tulane. And you got avenged. Um, you got avenged in the conference championship, which is you know the biggest game of the season for for both of those teams. So um, not great. I think what did we mention last last week that um, Houston Houston beat East Carolina like forty two to three. We we talked about that as being like maybe their best their best win. So you know you're losing to the team that Houston beat forty two to three. Um, so yeah, you know I think overall my 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 perception of their schedule is I, I'd like to think we would have won nine games against it, and you yep. you know how our team looked last year. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, but that's just, it's, it's going to be the, the grain of salt that you have to take all these teams with, right. Is, is, um, you know, in a given week, they could probably play with anybody, but week in week out, they are, they're not playing the the same quality of competition that, that you are at the P five level. And that's the biggest question mark, uh, for, for everybody this year. Yeah. And I, I had written down, you know, hardest opponent, maybe Louisville, maybe Tulane, and I wrote down that probably over half your schedule this year is going to be better than that team. So, yeah. you know, that that's just the reality of stepping up. And that's something, like you said, grain of salt. When we're looking at PFF grades, you have to take it. When you're looking at, you know, numbers per game, per drive, all these kinds of things, it's a grain of salt with the schedule. Um, just some beta rank numbers really quickly. These are adjusted for um, the schedule. So last season, they were 30th in effective offense, and they were 69th, which is pretty nice, in effective defense. This year, the returning production, 81st in offense. So, um, you know, on the lower half of returning production on the offense, and then defense is going to be 42nd. Um, so they are picked to finish 8th in the Big 12, and that's the highest of all the newbies. So um, this is the team that's kind of standing out from the other three who are making this jump. Um, and I think that's an excellent segue. Maybe a good reason why is probably at the quarterback position. I know you like this guy. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you lead on him, Jordan. Yeah, man, John John Reese Plumley. Uh, you know, you you watch him. You put put the highlights on, um, and it's like everything that I want Garrett Green to be. Like it's just major Garrett Green vibes. You know, he's a smaller dude, um, plays with a lot of intensity. You know, these electric vibes from this guy, um, playing super hard. And I mean, he's, he's one of the premier dual threats in the country, you know, like, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, um, you know, I've ran for almost a thousand yards at the quarterback position through for about 2,500. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's tough to, ta- I think he was six nationally among quarterbacks, 37 missed tackles. Um, you know, he's, he's not super effective in the passing game, which, you know, is almost another feather in the cap of why I think that maybe Garrett Green can, uh, have some success this year, but yeah, I'm, I'm all about John Respl- You know, I mean, if, if you're going to look at some red flags, um, 11 fumbles, which was uh, wow. tied for third in FBS. So a little bit of questionable ball security there. Um, also 21 turnover, turnover worthy plays in the passing game, which was tied for 10th and 4.8% turnover worthy play rate, which was tied for 25th in, uh, in FBS. So, you know, he'll, uh, he can be a little bit reckless with the ball, but man, electric vibes. The guy makes plays. I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah, he's the big upside guy. Like things go right, he makes a leap. You know, becomes a more accurate passer, especially on the down the field throws. Yep. This guy could be one of the. You know, he could be in the top quarter of quarterbacks in this in this league. 
Um, he's that good and he has that much like raw talent, I think. Um, and yeah, he wants to run the ball too. I think when you watch some of his tapes, sometimes he, he, uh, he isn't afraid to get out of the pocket and go like if it's, uh, if first option isn't there, sometimes it's like, Hey, I can go pick up some yards. And you know, that's always a conversation with quarterbacks in college. It works a lot, but you know, you can get uh, eight with your legs or you can wait for the play to develop and, you know, sort of find somebody downfield. I, I thought an interesting sort of comparison with him. So they had, um, you know, the time to throw. He was on the longer side of time to throw, so, meaning he holds the ball longer or isn't getting as many quick passes out. But he was on the shorter side um, of the national average on average depth of target. So, you know, can be scrambling around, running around, but he's still not throwing the ball down the field mm-hmm. and wasn't as productive on those throws. Um, and then you mentioned the turnover-worthy plays. He had just about as many turnover-worthy plays as the PFF calls it the big-time throws. So kind of like big risk, big reward guy. Um, but yeah, I think the way you said it was was the right way to say, you know, this is like a, a best-case scenario sort of thing, like Garrett Green steps into a role like this um without the turnovers obviously yeah without the turnovers obviously um also an interesting stat and i don't know what to make of this i'm just kind of sharing it he was uh in the top 20 maybe top 15 in the country in drop percentage last year 11 over 11 percent of his uh passes were dropped which is feels like a lot i i don't know if that's a quarterback problem or receiver problem but just just uh putting that out there kind of stood out to me um yeah, so it was interesting. Yeah, nah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's him not throwing catchable balls or, you know, obviously West Virginia had drop problems last year. I looked up the number and most of our, our you know, our quarterbacks who threw a lot of passes were like eight, nine percent. So um, he was noticeably higher than that. He is a big, a big portion of the running game. And that's, you know, something that he's going to carry the ball like nine times a game. Um, I kind of like the running, the running back room sort of where it ended up. Um here for UCF last year, they had Isaiah Bowser as their top running back. And, you know, I didn't really like of any of his metrics. Um, he averaged pretty low per carry, but now you got RJ Harvey and Johnny Richardson taking over. And um, yeah, just looking at the the numbers from last year, I think this is going to be like a nice combo. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, Bowser. So 3.75 yards a carry. And and when you look at the rest, like, uh, you know, John Reese Plumley, I think was at like 7.3 um, both of these other dudes are 6.8, 6.9. So, you know, it's it's clearly not an offense problem. It was a Bowser problem. So maybe a little bit of addition by subtraction there. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think Harvey had more carries last year. I'm looking at 116. So 116 carries for 790 yards, five touchdowns. Both of these dudes are over three and a half yards uh, after contact on average. So, uh, you know, even though they're, they're, they're a little bit smaller, but they, they don't go down easy. Or they'll bounce off a tackle and pick up 20 extra yards. You know, like th- those kind of players – um, and combined for 36 explosive plays on just what, a hundred and 160, 170 carries. So, you know, I mean, they're hitting explosive plays, 10 plus yard runs at a high rate. Um, and I, yeah, it's, it, they're going to be, the backfield's going to be a pain in the ass this year. Um, when you just look at, you know, you know, you look at Plumley, and then you look at these two guys, I'm sure they're both going to play, um, at the same, or they're all three going to play at the same time, like pretty frequently. Um, I think all, both of those running backs can catch the ball. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I think, you you know, we both have kind of said it, like, it's easy to see why this team has the highest expectations of any newcomer. Like we're two positions in and like, they have players, they like, they have players at at quarterback. I mean, the backfield is really good. 
Um, I like the receivers too. I, I know they, they lost a good one. They lost O'Keefe, who had 105 targets last year. Um, but they have some good dudes back. They did some good work in the portal out there. Yeah, what do you think of the? Uh, what do you think of the receivers? I like the receiving room. I like the way you know we we mentioned Bowser is gone. They used Richardson and Harvey as the backs in the in the passing game. You know yeah. these are average depth of target guys that are like in the negatives like it's just an it just you know essentially an outside handoff sort of deal but um you know use those guys in the passing game you know javon baker and uh is it kobe hudson is he yeah those are your two and three guys coming back uh from last year so i i I like those guys i think they um they look good hudson with the almost 16 yards average depth of target so that's probably going to be your deep threat guy and that's something i think that um jrp can really improve upon if you can uh work with that but i mean even the tight end room i mean they got they got a tight end that they're they're getting involved in the passing game in um alec holler so you know 27 targets for a tight end is is decent amount so um you know they they have weapons and like you you know you said it they they got guys that went out and got more guys that are you know, some of them probably aren't going to work out, but they they sort of have accumulated some guys who some of them are probably going to to catch and, and be productive. Yeah, no, it's it's the mix, right? Like you have a guy like Corey Gamage from Marshall, so a dude who two super productive years at Marshall is looking to take the step up. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Trent Whitmore and um, uh, what's the third guy's name? Uh, Chauncey Magwood, uh, who are a couple of SEC guys. I think that Whit- Whitmore is a Florida guy who it looks like he played a good bit two years ago and then last year didn't didn't play as much. And so obviously looking to take a step, you know, down, sideways, whatever, um, and get a little bit more tick. Um, Magwood is a UK guy who never really played at all. So also probably looking looking for a little bit more tick. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're rolling the dice. Like it's three good dice rolls, right? Like I would expect one of those three probably to hit and give you a fourth, fourth solid piece uh, in the receiver room. Plus you mentioned Holler who who uh, has shown that he can catch passes. It's, I mean, the, the skill pieces are really nice. I think, um, you know, like, as we've said for all these, these teams thinking the step up, right. The concern is up front. Um, like the, the, the offensive line was fantastic last year. Um, I, I think they, they, they graded out in the top 10, both in run blocking and pass blocking per PFF. I want to say they're third and third and run blocking. Um, but you lose three starters, right. And so are the dudes you're plugging and playing going to be able to play at the same level. I mean, is it going to be a plug and play situation or, I don't know. What do you What do you think there? Uh, yeah, I mean, if I had to, if I had to say biggest question mark on the offense, it's definitely the offensive line. Just because um, I feel like offensive line is a is a more continuity driven position than maybe some others. And you had a good one last year, but you're only returning two of the guys, and the other three projected starters are all transfers. So you got a guy coming from Bama, from Fresno, and from Kent State. Um, you know, to fill out this line. So, you know, that's where I'm, I'm just, you know, have a little pause, not sure what direction that's going to go exactly. And, you know, the, you know, worth mentioning is always the grain of salt of stepping up competition. Um, now you might not be the oversized line you were in G5. Now you are the mid to undersized line in power five. That is just like a natural sort of thing that happens. Yeah, no, I know. I think the one, the one thing I would say is that the style of off, of offense that they run is conducive to making offensive linemen look good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think of it. I'm not saying that their offensive line coach is Rich Trickett, but when you think of the like their offense is going to look. I mean, they're they're spread option, very run heavy. They're 60 percent run. Um, 
it's going to look like like we did, you know, in the mid 2000s with Rich Rod. Like that's the style of offense that they run. They spread you out. Um, they got guys running every which way. Um, you know, it's, or like think of maybe like a Kansas, right? I mean, it's it's going to be a pain in the ass to cover. And that opens up lanes, right? And if if they know where the lane is going to be and your defense doesn't, you're going to look like an idiot and the offensive line is going to get credit for good blocks. So, um, you know, I think maybe the scheme helps them a little bit. But, mm-hmm. like, when you look at these dudes, I mean, the, the, the Bama guy had some nice grades, but he's played like 130 total snaps over two seasons. So, so who knows? Um, and then the Fresno State guy, Kent State guy, neither of them, I mean, they're both two-year starters who weren't that good for those teams. And so I don't know if they'll – I mean, it's hard to say they're going to be good in the Big Twelve now, but I don't know. That's I would, I've, you know, giving Gus Malzahn his credit for his scheme. Yeah, um, I would just, just go ahead and throw that out there. But just, just on an aside, how do you feel about the aesthetic of a a quarterback who's over six feet tall and two running backs who are five eight and five seven? How do you feel when your your quarterback is your largest dude in the backfield? Uh, I mean. You know, it, it reminds me of Pat, Steve, and Noel, right? Like, yeah. that's that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, not when you watch them play. Like, you know, I'm not saying that it's the same thing when you watch them. But, like, if you just look at the numbers, it looks like the numbers of, of those guys back then. Everybody's seven, seven and a half yards of carry. Um, mm-hmm. Little scat backs, little shitheads who are hard to tackle. Um, it reminds me of a Kansas State backfield as well. That, that yeah. Sort, sort of vibe. You get a larger quarterback in there. But, yeah, um, no, I mean, shit. Uh, you know, if it works, it works, right? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we've only spoken about the offense, but just when you're looking at this team in general, it's like, why are they positioned higher than the other ones? And the first point is obviously the coach. I mean, I think they have the best coach of the four teams entering for sure. And, I, you know, probably not even that close. Um, but yeah, then the second point is the offense. Like there are a handful of guys here. You're like, yeah, these guys are the best of the new incoming guys yeah by far i mean you know some of the best skill players that i think we've looked at period like these guys are going to be problems you know Mm -hmm. like when you when you see the way that they play it they they're not asking the five eight running back to to you know three yards in a cloud of dust they're putting that dude in space on like a linebacker or a safety and saying make this dude like look like a jackass pants him you know and they can and they can do that so um and good coaches create those situations create those those situations yep. yep so I think that's a, a good time to transition to the defense who, um, you know, last year this was offensive, like I said, was 30th in beta rank defense was 69th. Um, particularly what they were bad in was explosive plays. They were 114th. Um, so really just got gashed on a lot of explosive plays. And I would say particularly bad at stopping the run as well. They were 87th in effective rush defense. Um so making the step up, and I, I believe they run a, a three-man front. Um, I think they keep, you know, really the the D line intact, or at least some some pieces that I um, kind of like. They got Hunter Lee, who's going to be in the middle, six four three twenty, a big guy plugging up the middle of the three-man front, and then I really kind of like the ends here. And you know, I was looking at some depth depth charts, and not sure. Um, maybe it's one of them guys had switched positions from last year, but, um, what I have here, uh, Morris Brash and Barber, um, these were two of the highest rated guys on their defense last year, um, really generated some, some good pressure. And, you know, I think this is a, this is a fine defensive front. Yeah. They add a dude from, uh, Sean Peterson from, from Florida international, um, who, who had 21 pressures last year and in, in limited appearances. So yeah, no, I think, I think overall, um, yeah, no, I mean the the the, the defensive front looks solid. I'm I'm surprised you didn't. 
mentioned that Morris Brash's first name is Tremon. I mean, I think we're, we're looking at a uh, probably a lock for the uh, the first uh, for the edge position on the first uh, first team all name team. But that is a um, good one. Yeah, I did not have that Tremon with the uh, with the apostrophe in there with the apostrophe Tremon Morris hyphen Brash. So uh, but yeah, no, I mean, like let alone his name. Dude's a good player. Graded out 76 on on PFF had 35 pressures, five sacks. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I like the whole front seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the you know the best player on the defense was uh, was Jason Johnson, the middle linebacker. Um, and so you know you're kind of starting to see, I mean, on the other side of the ball as well, right? They got players at every level. Um, you got dudes in the spine of your defense who are good, who I think probably are going to be successful at the at the P five level. Um, Johnson had a four point three missed tackle rate last year, which led the country. Yeah. Um, that's fucking insane. Like most of the time you see if, if they're missing around, if you're missing around 10% of your tackles, that's like very much better than average. Um, so the fact that you have a middle linebacker who played 870 snaps, who missed 4.3 of his tackles. Um, it's a really nice piece to have in the center had 42 stops. Um, and again, we're seeing kind of the, 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 for the rotation, you have a four star from Georgia, Ryan Davis, and then a dude, Isaiah Paul from incarnate word. Um, so you're seeing kind of both sides of the coin there, right? <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I like the front, I guess. So I think they are a four, two, five. I, I like the front six. I like the front mm-hmm. six. Yeah, no, I think we, we had basically the same notes on Jason Johnson. Um, I also had the, the missed tackle percentage down, which is, you know, that's insanely high. Um, so Matters, always nice yes. to have, always nice to have that in there. Um, you know, I guess, I guess they're going to. You know, like they said last year, not really great against the run, but I I feel like the front is pretty solid. Um, I don't think they're getting worse up front. I think, um, yeah, I mean, size concerns. Like, I don't think they're that big. And you know, I uh, I didn't look up everybody's size, but Morris Brash is only like two hundred and forty pounds. Um, the dude Peterson I mentioned from Florida International, I think, is even smaller. So maybe some size concerns against some of the Big Twelve teams that are that are really going to look to you know, jam the ball down your throat, like hopefully West Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, from a, from a talent standpoint, like they're, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's a middle of the road front six, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's serviceable. Um, and, you know, moving to the secondary, um, you know, this is another position that we're seeing. They really went out and got some guys, um, <laughs> you know, looking at the, uh, the depth chart, I'm seeing what five dudes and a freshman who, so six guys who were not participating last year with this team who, who are in the mix, two of which are probably going to start. Um, you know, I, I think this is a, a decent secondary as well. I don't feel like you know, looking at all these grades and looking at, uh, you know, all the information we can find on this team, I don't feel like this defense is, is terrible. I feel like the secondary is probably the weakest of the, of the units here. Um, I have Brandon Adams written down as sort of the, the corner that I like, um, just from, from some of the stats we're seeing here, but, um, you know, just a little bit of unknown. You got, like you said, the two transfer linebackers and then two transfer probably starters in the secondary as well. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think the secondary is definitely where you're losing the most contributors from last year. I mean, you're losing, you're losing 1400, like they have good players back. They have Adams who you mentioned, um, Corey Thornton had a good grade on, you know, almost 700 snaps. Nikai Martinez played 300 and some snaps. Um, but you're losing 1400 snaps at corner. You're losing a thousand snaps at safety. Um, so, you know, you, you, you have dudes back who played last year, 
Um, but that's definitely the area where th- there's been the most turnover for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, they, they have five, five secondary positions. They have five transfers and, or was sorry, four transfers and a freshman on the two deep. So half the, half the two deep is, uh, you know, we're, we're not part of the team last year. Yep. Yep. So, you know, I, I think this is a team not to the exaggeration of, um, well, I, I guess I'll say this looking at the new teams that we've looked at so far, we haven't looked at Cincinnati. They all fit a similar sort of mold to me where it's like offensive, heavy defense question marks to some teams like severe worries. Um, UCF probably the, you know, a, a defense that's going to be middle of the road for, you know, coming in, but, um, you know, for a lot of these new teams, I just am very interested in the adjustment. Like you're lagging in with defenses that already weren't great. Um, you know, how ugly could, can, can any of these teams that we've discussed, are they going to be able to stop other teams? Um, you know, I think of the offenses we've spoken about, UCF has the potential to be up there with any of them. Um, but, you know, it only matters if you can, you can get some stops on the other side of the ball. Um, out of conference this year, uh, UCF gets Kent State, Boise State, and Villanova. I, you know, those seem like three pretty winnable games. Uh, do you remember the number for UCF this year? Six and a half. Six and a half. So Kent State, Boise State, and Villanova, I mean, I think you are going to win all three of those. I think those are three winnable games. You you would hope so. Um, I, I mean, yeah, you would, you would hope so because, uh, you know, you, you look at the first three games in the conference slate, you have Kansas State and Baylor. Kansas State's one of the two or three best teams in the conference. Baylor, always solid. Kansas, second most returning production in the country, obviously a team on the rise. Um, you know, if you don't win, if you don't win all three of those, you could be two, like if you win two, you could be two and five when, when we're coming to town in October. Right. So, um, I don't, it's, it's crazy, right? Like, it's just weird how these schedules set up. Um, you know, we talked last week, like Oklahoma state could fucking suck and somehow win like nine games somehow. Um, this is the opposite. Like, I feel like UCF could be pretty good and getting to like six or seven is going to be just a pain in the ass because if you start two and five, like it's so easy for the wheels to just come off, you know? Exactly. And I mean, you know, if they get past, they get past Baylor, Kansas, Oklahoma, it's us, Cincinnati, Oklahoma state after that. So, you know, a manageable stretch, right? Like there's a good season in here. Um, if things break, right? Like if that offensive line holds up, they're going to be fucking, they're going to be a hard out every single week. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'd bet on over six and a half just because, just because of how that, that schedule, like the first half of the schedule is just brutal. I feel like, you know, when you think of the in-conference, you think of Kansas State. I mean, they're going to get smacked in the mouth the first two weeks of conference play. And and who knows who knows what that does? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a like get up off the floor and see what you're made of yeah. kind of entering this conference, I would imagine, with yep. Kansas State and Baylor. Um, you know, your, your soft spot is probably, you know, towards the end, you have obviously West Virginia as their homecoming. Um, then they go at Cincinnati. They also close the season with Houston. Um, you know, those are the games that they probably are looking at and saying like, those are 50, 50 to, we could win those. Um, yeah, the, the back hat, like if you can get through the first half of the schedule, like three and three, mm -hmm. um, then the overs probably looking good. Yeah. I think, you know, coming in, you have us, Cincinnati, Oklahoma state, Houston, Four winnable games at Texas Tech's probably going to be tough unless something weird happens. But 
Um, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm looking on UCF's uh, website right now. The Oklahoma State game is the Mission Seven Space Game. Um, do you know? Do you know about the Citronauts? Are you are you aware of the Citronauts? I'm not aware of the Citronauts. Now you have to look, and if you're listening, you have to look up the Citronauts. It's like their old school throwback mascot, but it is an astronaut with a, a Florida orange as his body, and oh. they are the Citronauts. Um, so they they do like a space thing down there. Um, also on their on their schedule, they just have that they're playing at the Big Twelve Championship game on December second. So they just went ahead and said that that's bold, be. <laughs> bold, yeah, bold for Disney Community College. I would stay away from UCF. I think they're going to go three and zero and out of conference. Um, but they should, they should, they should. I would stay away just because the way these things work. Sometimes, like you said, they they could walk into conference and be like zero and four, zero and five and still be like a decent team. So that's just the way it works sometimes. Yep. Yep. All right. Good on, good on UCF. Yep. All good over here. All right. Let's do, uh, you're better at these lead-ins. Let's, let's do BYU though. All right. I will, uh, give you BYU. So last season, eight and five, an independent, um, they were not always an independent. They were part of the, uh, the Mountain West until about 2010, but have been living uh, that independent life for the last 12 or 13 seasons. Um, BYU finds ways to get wins. You know, I think sometimes these teams are really hard in the topography of college football to place, like Notre Dame. How good are they when a lot of the teams they play are not great, but, you know, they have to sort of fit in somehow. Um in the last 18 seasons, BYU has only had one losing season. So they're getting wins. They're not always playing the best of competition, but they're out there getting wins. So they're, they're beating teams. Um, you know, I think similar to these new guys, we have to mention the schedule. Last year, um, kind of an interesting one for them, especially like right at the beginning of the season. Um, it reminded me not maybe to the extent of, uh, you know, the West Virginia, like five and O season when everything was going great with Geno Smith and we're like top in the country, you know, but there was definitely a, a couple weeks into the season, they beat number nine Baylor. Um, and this is when we thought Baylor was good and they beat them in a double overtime game in Provo and BYU's probably like, oh shit, we're also good. They jumped to number 12 in the polls. And then they get run by Oregon. And then I would almost just say like an uneventful rest of the season, mostly because they didn't play anybody. Um, Beat Wyoming, beat Utah State, lose to Notre Dame, lose to Arkansas, lose to Liberty, lose to East Carolina, and then beat Boise, beat Utah Tech, beat Stanford, beat SMU. Um, So when you look at that schedule, it's like the big wins were Baylor, Boise State, Stanford. You lost to Liberty and ECU also. So, um, you know, kind of some, some weird stuff going on there. Is, is ECU a better win than we were giving Houston credit for? I don't know yeah, how to do it. He just beat these. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, I had them down. So, yeah, they, they start 4-1, and one, then they go 0-4, and four, then they finish 4-0. Oh. Um, so, you know, just a, just a bang average P5 team, I felt. Like, you know, what, what do we, we kind of talked about, um, what was it, Texas Tech, where it's just like, yeah, you, you beat all the shitty teams on your schedule, and then you lose to probably all the good teams. And for most teams, that's going to be like eight and five, because mm-hmm. um, there's there's way more shitty teams than good teams. That was that was BYU last year, like, um, and it's also you know it's it's Bracken's law, like they had a, they were good offensively, they were explosive. The defense was shitty, but it, you know the offense was good enough that it didn't matter. 
um, against uh, pretty much everybody they played. So, yeah, I, you know, um, they they are what they are. They you know, it feel like BYU is. Uh, and not just under Kalani Sataki, they they just feel like one of the most consistent brands uh, nationally of, of of pretty much any program. Like doesn't matter who the coach is, doesn't matter where they're playing, what they are. Like you just it's BYU is BYU. Yeah, travel well. Great fans are coming to Morgantown this year. That's a game I have. Oh, yes. I, I, yeah, I, I can't. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited. I, I want to end up at that game. I'd also love to go visit Provo, Utah. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, Kalani Sataki, so this is his going to be his eighth season. He's 56 and 34, like you said, just solid. Like not a lot of amazing years, but no real bad years. Um, they they chug along and they do just fine. Um, coordinator wise, Aaron Roderick is going to be the OC. This will be his third season. Had a lot of success last year, and then Jay Hill will be in his first season as a defensive coordinator for BYU. He is coming from I don't know if it's Weber or Weber State. Um, just with one B, uh, that explains it's, it's Weber state. Um, that expl- anyway, they have a couple Weber state transfers on defense. I was like, what the fuck? But yeah, that, that explains it. So Jay Hill had s- some moderate success with, with, um, Weber state. And, uh, they, I think they made like the quarterfinals, like several years under him, um, as the head coach there, but making it, you know, a pretty sizable jump all the way up into what is now the power five. So, um, the defense really couldn't have been much worse last year. So last year, offensively 25th in beta rank, 118th in defense, which is not good. Um, it's the worst of any big 12 team that, that will be entering. Uh, I think West Virginia was like 84th or something. And, and you know how bad we were. So important context. Yes. Thank important you. context that we were 84th when you adjust for schedule and a lot of these things, BYU was 118th. Um, I think there's only 130 teams. So returning offensive production, they're 77th. Returning defensive production, they're 57th, if that means anything to you. Um, They're picked to finish 11th in the Big 12. And I don't think I mentioned this for um, UCF. UCF had no guys on the all-Big 12 list. Um, BYU just has one, and that is an offensive lineman who I'm not sure I can pronounce his last name. First name's Kingsley. Suma Suma Taihi, maybe? I, that's going to be my best. Suamasha. There you go. I, I like Suma that. Suamataya. It's f- fantastic. I mean, it's really just choose your own adventure with some of the yeah. uh, the vowels in there. But um, yeah, so BYU, you know, starting with the quarterback position, <laughs> be a familiar face to Mountaineer fans. Keaton Slovis is taking over. I'm glad we're getting this motherfucker at home. That's all I'm going to say. Um, you know, I ne- never had a high opinion of him at USC. Uh, did not have a high opinion of him last year at Pitt. Certainly. Um, you didn't and, like that breast con- or the, uh, the pep rally. No, I didn't No, I didn't care for that all that much. Um, especially like who the fuck dude, you have no, you don't know. You don't know. Like, shut up. Just like, what are you pandering? What are you pandering to your stupid? Uh, anyways. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, bang average last year at Pitt. Like we were by far the gate, you know, and maybe this is a, not not the best stat to throw out, but we were by far the, his best game of the season. I thought, like uh, you know, other than us, uh, what he, I think he threw three touchdowns against us, and he only had like ten, 10 other ten others or ten total. Yeah, 10 so total. yeah, so just <laughs> trash. Uh, so you know, my notes are maybe a little bit more harsh on him than than some of these other guys. But I have can't really move. Tried to push it downfield, but with limited success. And you know, game manager is the best thing that I could say about him. What do you what do you think about Keaton? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, the pep rally did rub me in a direction of him. But, yeah, I mean, even when you take this objectively and look at the numbers, is, you know, this guy's average at best um, kind of has <laughs> continued to slide a little bit downhill since his USC days. Obviously, the talent around him has diminished a little bit as well. But, um, you know, last year he had more turnover-worthy throws, turnover-worthy plays than uh, big-time throws. He had a 10-touchdown to 9-interception ratio. Um, you know, just n- nothing that really pops off the the page to you, especially after the first game of the season. And just a just note on BYU last year, so they had Jaron Hall at quarterback. I thought this was kind of a funny stat. They did not have a single quarterback other than Jaron Hall who threw more than one pass last year. So that feels like that feels insane. <laughs> like they they had like two quarterbacks who had one throw each, and they had Jaron Hall who had all the rest. Um, so that just that's like very rare with injuries and garbage time and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I think just big downgrade from Jaron Hall to Slovis. I think in the passing game, but also in the running game. I mean, Slovis is non-existent in the running game, um, yep. and, and Hall was was pretty notable there. So, um, yeah, if you're at BYU, I mean, I think it's pretty pretty obvious here you're coming in a little down on the, the quarterback position compared to last year. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, for sure. Like, you know, I mean, this is... A, I mean, you're, you're not expecting him to contribute. You're not expecting Slovis to contribute in the run game at all. What he did last year in Pitt, you know, you turn around and hand it to Izzy Abanaconda. Uh, you know, I think that's what they're looking for here. You know, it, it's going to be a weird situation because you look at their depth chart. The first two guys in the depth chart in the running back room are both transfers as well. Um, so they had Chris Brooks uh, last year, who was a little bit of their workhorse. They, they bring in Aiden Robbins and, uh, and Deion Smith. Um, both of them were productive. Aiden Robbins from, from UNLV. Uh, kind of that standard massive sledgehammer dude that BYU always seems to have. Um, you know, they like to they like to just run like off tackle kind of stuff where I'm just we're going to slam this big dude into your big dudes and, and fall forward for four yards. Um, but productive year last year. Smith is a little bit more of a scat back. So nice complimentary skill sets there, depending on what, what they want to do. Did you do you see anything noteworthy like? Uh, with the running backs, I'm not, I'm not I'm not seeing like a ton of explosive plays or anything, but but solid players. Yeah, solid players. I mean, I had written down for Robbins that he was a thousand yard rusher last year. Yeah, on a, on about five a carry. I mean that that to me is like more of a durability statement, which is yep. important for running backs. Um, you know, coming from UNLV, obviously going to be a different world here. Um, Six but, three two thirty though. That's a big. That's a big fucking guy. It's that's a big, a big guy. guy. And yeah, durability is is obviously important as the season wears on. So. That's sort of the thing that stood out to me for the running back room. I mean, I, I do think just this offense last year was explosive. This offense last year moved the ball. They were, you know, in the top the top 20% of the nation. And I, I'm just kind of there's – there's enough sort of new things here. You're starting new in the quarterback position. You're starting new in the running back position. And maybe just jumping a little bit ahead is you have three new guys who are going to be on your offensive line transfer-wise. So, like – just like a lot of foundational stuff that it's just like, I don't know how we can expect last year's success to necessarily transfer to this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were saying before that we were looking at it, you know, before we, uh, before we hopped on, right. Like 11, 11 of the 22 dudes on the offensive two deep are, are transfers. Yeah. Um, so you, it's, yeah, you know, you don't always, I, I would say you use, you use about 22 dudes right on offense. Like if, if, if injuries don't cause you to use more, like you're going to have about 22 guys who get snaps. Half of them are half of them are completely new. So yeah, 
Um, and I think, I mean, the, the thing you called out with, with Hall to Slovis in, in terms of the running game is, is going to, it's going to change the way they play. It has to, there's no way that it can't. Um, mm-hmm. so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how, um, how Roderick kind of adjusts there. Um, what do you think pass catchers wise? I, I like the tight ends. Um, actually I like, I like the receivers as well. What do you think there? Yeah, I like the receivers to be honest. I, you know, they lose their top guy, um, Puka Nakua. Um, so he was their top NFL dude. guy. Yeah. So he's gone, but you know, you look at the next guys up, you have Hill, you have Epps, you have Chase Roberts. Um, all three of these guys really contributed last year, 16 touchdowns between, between the three of these guys. I mean, you know, they were finding a way to, to get in the end zone and that's all you can ask for a receiver. So, um, I think there's enough, you know, experience to go around. Definitely probably the most experienced. Um, I mean, it is the most experienced, like, um, like position group on offense. Just the, they, they have like three guys who played a lot last year, contributed. And you know, that, that's like, that is your core thing. Obviously who's throwing the ball and who's blocking for that guy are different. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, no real gripes with the, the receivers here. I think if I was going to throw up one red flag, it would be depth. Um, you know, you, you have transfers and a, and a red shirt freshman who's never played or are, are filling out the two deep. Um, but, but yeah, no, I mean, if the three guys you called out, stay healthy, no, no issues there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean the tight end, Isaac Rex, really solid, mm-hmm. really solid name, really solid player. Um, and, uh, and Ethan Erickson, you know, I wouldn't say either of these guys are game breakers at the tight end position, but both of them can catch the ball and both of them can block, which, you know, give me, give me 10 of those guys, uh, for West Virginia and I'll, I'll be happy. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, the, the continuity is probably the biggest concern if you're just being generic on this offense. Um, if you're being specific, you're changing the way you play with Slovis. Um, you have three transfers listed as starters on the offensive line. Two of them are, well, no, sorry, one of them. Two of them are P5 guys. You have you have a guy from Utah and then Caleb Etienne who sucked at Oklahoma State last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Waylon Lapuajo from Utah State. A lot of Utah State guys on here. Uh, yep. Utah State transfers, um, but I, I don't know. What you, I mean, the, the, I think those are the two biggest concerns, right? Is is the dudes blocking are different, and uh, and the quarterback is maybe a side grade, but probably a downgrade. Yeah, I think a downgrade in, in my opinion. But yeah, I, I kind of wonder too with some of these teams that are stepping into the Big Twelve. You know, how much is immediate success? realistic and how much is just like general program building going to probably be on the menu for the first year or two of like let's just get a bunch of dudes in here let's like you know sort of you know plant our foot in the ground here but like to to make this jump i i i I do think it's tough i just think the depth is like the biggest thing people always talk about in football and i i think you look across you look across the two deep on the offensive line for byu and five of the 10 dudes are transfers and two more of the guys are freshmen. So that's seven of the 10 dudes were not like a part of this team last year. Um, and, and that yep. just stands out to me. That's just like, I don't know how it's hard to make an off season prediction as we are doing about the, the performance. Um, but it also is just like, put your hands in the air. Like, eh, I don't know. Like, it's just a lot of new stuff going on. Yeah, we were we were talking about them as like BYU is kind of the classic five year cycle program. Like I think you mentioned right, like one losing season in the last eighteen, um, and that was Sataki's second year in charge. Right, he won nine games his first year, 
Second year, they went like four and eight. Then they went like eight and five. Then they went 12 and one, 11 and two. Last year, nine and five. Or uh, sorry, last year, eight and five with, you know, some of the cast offs of the really good team. Now it feels like all the cast offs of the really good team are gone. It's a full new set of dudes in here. You're probably looking at a, you know, four to six win team again. Like, right. Like, I mean, this is just the cycle that everybody except for maybe 10 teams have to do is, is, yep. is you, you grow your dudes. Um, you know, you have your core, the core is good for two years and then you reset. Yep. And that, that cycle even almost feels like accelerated sometimes now with the amount of dudes moving around. But yeah, sure. when you look at the roster, especially the offense, it's a last year was a good offense. This year is a recycled offense who I don't think you can put a lot of stock in last year's performance. Looking at the defense, last year the defense was atrocious. And, you know, you you get some guys back, but, like, you know, it's one of those, like, does that matter? And I, I think a similar story of just, like, you know, going fishing. Like, who can you get here? So many transfers and so many transfers in the two and even, like, the three deep on defense that it might just be, like, who can you throw out there and be serviceable? Like, can this defense in general not be the worst defense in the conference? It's probably, like, the goal. Like, don't be the floor. Be better than Houston's defense or be better than, you know, because that's how bad they were last year. Hopefully that's the floor and not and not us. Good. Uh, <laughs> well done. Well done, West Virginia pod. Um, but, yeah. No, I, you know, so, like, they the, the, the three dudes, uh, so John Nelson, uh, Atunasia Mahe, and then Tyler Batty, um, all back. They all look solid. They were they were good last year, you know. I think. But then, yeah, you're getting into some uh, a little bit of sketchy territory. There are a couple of Boise State transfers where you know that program isn't what it was ten years ago, um, right? Like um, yeah. a couple of Boise State transfers are going to play. So I don't know. The, the this defense had no havoc. I know that we've talked about some of these teams. It's like man, they had a ton of havoc, ton of pressures up front. All this, all this shit. Uh, that no havoc last year, like very, very low pressures from these guys, except for, except for uh, Nelson and Batty. Nelson and Batty are the two who kind of generated, but other than that, it's a low pressure unit. And yep. so I'm looking at this and like, you know, Ben, well, I mean, they bended and they, and they broke last year, but the, you know, the, the like that kind of shit, um, the Iowa state, the Iowa state strategy, for example, I, you know, I don't, you, you don't just fall ass backwards into that. I don't know if they're going to be able to come up here and, 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 you know, be that much better. Um, I don't know. I mean, looking at the second level, it's a little bit better. Maybe. I don't know. The Ben, Ben Bywater was a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, AJ Vongfa, Sean, they got AJ some names. On AJ Vongfa, Sean from Utah state, Harrison Taggart. I don't, I don't know. The, the, it's, it's a bad looking front six. It's about, yeah. And, Front you know, I think the th- the thing about this defense too is they were they were pretty much equally bad in the run and the pass last year. They were 109th in effective rush, 119th in effective pass. There wasn't like much strong to lean on. Um, and and you mentioned it just like the low pressure. I mean, they average they had 17 sacks, so that's just a touch more than one sack a game. They yeah. had 29 hits on the quarterback all season. 29. <laughs> like yeah. I feel like Oklahoma. Mm. Like some of these like defensive fronts were like hitting the quarterback 10, 15 times a game. Oklahoma it, State did that to us in one game, uh, what, two years ago? Yeah. When, the last time they played Morgantown, they got like 31 hits on the quarterback, I felt like. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to look at Oklahoma State really quick just as a comparison. Last year, 
Uh, which wasn't even their good year, which it wasn't even their good year, right? Like, yeah. So that that's what concerns me is just like I don't even feel like they were they were close last year for the competition they were playing. I mean, these are raw stats. These aren't like adjusted. Met- this is like you played a soft schedule and you didn't really have a lot. Pittsburgh had fifty three hits on the quarterback last year and fifty five sacks. Those are counted separately. So um, there, there's your comparison of like what we know to Pittsburgh is like that's a really great defensive front they were last year to to this unit we're talking about. Um, yeah, I just, I, I think as, if I were a BYU fan, this is a year to like enjoy and maybe go to Morgantown and have some fun or like, you know, do some kind of stuff, but, um, they're picked 11th out of 12 for a reason. Um, and I just, 14, but, or sorry, you're right. 11 out of, yeah, you're right. Picked 11 <laughs> out of 14 for a reason. So I, I think that if I was like looking like, like what would be your, your bright spot for BYU? What is your like? Hey, this is what we got going on for us, because that I, I kind of was struggling to get there. Yeah, I I don't really know, man. You know, I mean, I think it would be honestly, it would be the pass catchers, but then you have to you have to balance that against who's blocking and who's throwing, right? I mean, you know, the, these guys can be open, but if Slovis can't get them the ball, or if the offensive line can't give time, give Slovis time to get them the ball, it's not going to matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot good to talk about on the defensive side. It's a full new set of corners. Like I said, a couple guys from Weber State. Both of the starters from Weber State are are starting for uh, for BYU this year at the Power Five level now. So, <laughs> um, good fucking luck with that. Uh, you know, there's people back at. It, yeah, no, nah, I mean, there's there's not. A t- it's easy to see why they're there, why they're picked where they were. Vegas thinks even less of them. They had over under four and a half, which I think was tied with Houston for or sorry, uh, Houston or Cincinnati for the lowest in the conference. And it's easy to see why. Like, I mean, there's not there's not a ton of content. There's nothing really to hang your hat on. Yeah. You know, and end of story. Right. Like I said, a lot of words to basically say that. Yeah. And I think just even looking at BYU from a larger picture, um, you know, recruiting wise, they're, they're a little pinned, um, and like the people who want to go to BYU and, and also just like, they haven't been successful in the years past. It's not like there's a recruiting class coming. So, you know, really in the last handful of years, they haven't broken the top 50 in recruiting like on, on 24 seven. So that's where I'm just a little worried. It's like, they have obviously like a strong football culture, but the path forward I'm sure they would rather be in the Big 12 than not. Um, but also, there's an argument that the independent scene sort of worked fine for them because they won a lot of games. And I don't, frankly, see a path that they're going to win many games this year. And, you know, as you look in the future, like, there are like more attractive teams that just entered. Like, if I'm a transfer, like, I want to go to Houston or I want to go to, you know, UCF before I would want to come to BYU. So, um we're really just dumping on BYU right now. I will absolutely co-sign double stamp on BYU being the bottom of the conference. That's great because it's it's not us. So, hey. Yeah, West Virginia was picked under this team that we have very few nice things to uh, say about. Our roster is not worse. This is this is what we were talking I You know, we'll get into it uh, in the coming weeks um, for sure. But our narrative is maybe worse than BYU's, but our roster is not worse than BYU's. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree with that. I will put my entire – I will stop talking about football <laughs> if, if we end up having a worse season than BYU this year. 
And we're going to find out. November 4th, they come to Morgantown. Like I said, that's a game I'm excited about uh, specifically. They're out of conference this year. I mean, they have back-to-back layups to start the season. I don't think you should be allowed to play two FCS teams in a season. I think that's that's too much. I think the FCS G5, P5 is the formula. They have Sam Houston and then Southern Utah Thunderbirds. That's their first two. And then they get Arkansas as their third, which, you know, last year Arkansas handled them uh, pretty easily. After I, that, I expect that to happen again this year. But, uh, but like, though, though we just dumped on BYU, listen to this. Listen to these five weeks before you get to your bye. Sam Houston, Southern Utah, Arkansas probably won't go well. Kansas is your Big 12 opener. Kansas. They're still Kansas. And then you play Cincinnati, and then you get a bye week. Those are your first five games. That's not horrendous like that's could be expect to be i would say maybe four and one or three and two right and then tcu texas tech texas at west virginia iowa state oklahoma oklahoma state do you win two of those games do you win one of those no no shit gets real shit gets real in october for them i hope they have a a very fun september (laughs) all of these games are in september weather's gonna probably be fantastic in provo um but yeah, come October, shit's shit's gonna get real. Um, you know, I, I I think we're both a little bit down on TCU compared to uh, the media narrative, but I think TCU is still a much better roster than this. Texas Tech definitely at Texas. I think we're better. Iowa State. I think Iowa State's gonna be better at what they do than BYU is what they do uh, mm-hmm. this year. Then Oklahoma. I mean, at at Oklahoma State, I feel like is maybe your best chance for a win. And, and at Oklahoma State, I mean, it feels crazy to say that, right? But, like, um, yeah, I don't know. There's They will not be favored from October on, I don't think. No. No, yeah, they, they will be f- maybe favored. They probably won't even be favored. And, uh, I mean, what's a game that they would be favored in other than the first two? Like, they probably wouldn't be favored at Kansas. Cincinnati at home? Maybe Cincinnati, Cincinnati at home. home. Yeah, depending on how Cincinnati starts the season. That'd probably be the one game that would be the one wise that they would be favored in. So yeah. what are they? Four and a half or five and a half? Four and a half. I Plus mean, I ten thousand for the Big Twelve if you're, you know, feeling froggy. I I'd rather not, not set money on fire. I'm not. Um, I'm not, yeah. I mean, they're gonna get two layups to start the season. I mean, though you look at this team and like this could almost be that team that is a you know, Iowa State that blows the the FCS uh, game. The FCF FCS upset candidate, yeah. Maybe. But at, Benefit of the doubt, I'll give them the first two. But then on, like, I don't see more than two. Yeah. If, if things go fine. So I would I would fade BYU um on the four and a half number. Fade. Faded. Big For sure. Fade. And do you think like, this is don't like BYU. Do you think it's coming to Morgantown? We're ready. Oh yeah, yeah. That could be a, a this big, is this is this is the fourth this is the fourth game of Neil's first four game winning streak. So Everybody, uh, you know, show up to Morgantown for it. It's going to be great. It only took them 1.5 seasons. (laughs) 1.75. Right. Sorry. Um, So, you know, I've said this. I think I said this in the last episode. But, man, what a soft spot in the schedule for WVU. Houston. I mean, I mean, you maybe could even back it up. I I wouldn't say TCU is a soft spot. They just won. They just were in the national championship. But you go to play at TCU. They're beatable. They're They're beatable. beatable. You have Houston. On a Thursday night, you have home for Oklahoma State. You go to UCF, probably going to be a tough one. 
and then you're home for BYU. That is like the kind of the middle four of our season um, or kind of close to the middle four of our season. So um, yeah. And, and, you know, we're, we're, we're rolling with this deep dive series. We only have three teams left. Um, I imagine we'll, we'll do some WVU specific stuff maybe after that, but I think um, so at UCF is, you know, the historians many, many decades from now will look back on at UCF when Garrett Green outdoors John Reese Plumley on his own field as like the, the, the thing that jump started his 2024 Heisman campaign. So uh, we have that we have that to look forward to, which is that nice. is that is a good I'll set a reminder on my phone for yep. that one. Um, yep. Yeah, that would be that would be sweet. That would be uh, hopefully Neil's still the coach because we're on a, a little hot <laughs> streak. <Christ. laughs> would you like to Would you like to place a bet on? Fuck no, 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 no. <laughs> who Who is the winning coach of the BYU West Virginia game? That's a That's a fun bet. <laughs> uh, and are they currently employed? Yeah, no. Yeah, well, um, I mean, Rich Rodriguez is probably employed right now, right? So. <laughs> somebody's probably paying him. I think he's technically employed by somebody. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. We're just going to, we're just going to be running. We're just going to be running power, um, <laughs> run every play by the time we get to UCF. Dude, I look back, I look back. So, so UCF 60% run. We were 75% run Pat White's freshman year. Like think about that for a second. That's fucking crazy. We we told them we were going to run the ball and they couldn't stop it. Yeah, we 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 ran the ball forty seven times and passed the ball sixteen times per game. Yeah, I, I you know I was young. I remember getting into football and it was like you just run and then like you pass just enough that they're like oh shit like we have to keep a sa- you know safety back here or something like or like even by accident right like it's like oh shit broken play I better like dump this off to you know somebody or something. Yeah, I would love to even see the numbers broken out further of like what were plays that were like non-screens because we played some screens. You got lead lead blocker Owen Schmidt. Like that was a that's a good screen right there for sure, for um, sure. So but, hey, lean lean into it, dude. I'm I'm here. I'm here for 65 percent run West Virginia this year. Like full stop. End of story. I'm here. Yeah, for I'm yeah. I mean, it's probably going to be our strength. So um, please. All right, get, so we got to get back to it, Neil. Anyways, <laughs> we do, Neil. So we are keeping the deep dive series rolling. We only have three teams left. Uh, next week, we are going to cover Oklahoma and Cincinnati. So we'll get the final of the new guys. Um, you know, if there's any teams you're interested in hearing that we have done um, all the all the schedule up until now. So, you know, we have an episode on Houston and Oklahoma State on Texas Tech and TCU. So, um, any of those, you can go back and check them out. I do think the Pitt and Penn State one was pretty fun as well. Um, but we'll be back next week with Oklahoma and Cincinnati. You can hit us up on smokingmusket.com. You can find us on Twitter or X uh, at WVStatsGuy at Game Day Shorts. And you can hit us up with the pod Twitter, which is at WestByPod with underscores. Um, also, a plug I guess we don't do often, but we should. Um, if you aren't a part of the Smoking Musket Discord, uh, you should definitely hit that up. Um, so that is a, a cool place where you can hang out and talk about football, basketball, pro sports, gambling, whatever. There's like all kinds of different channels in there. You can talk about um, everything with a bunch of Mountaineer fans. Smoking meats. Do you like smoking meats? Because if you do, there's a food channel. 
there's a channel for you so it's a fun community and yeah it's a it's a good group of people in there so um if you don't know how to do that i'm sure there's information on smokymusket.com also the smoking musket twitter account i'm sure has a uh, has a link there so anything else i'm not thinking of jordan josh witt unreasonable doubt new episode out check it out that is right yeah go check out unreasonable doubt excellent podcast on wvu basketball all right with that thank you for listening and we'll catch you guys next time take care guys Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.